Bitcoin happens to have amazing properties for currency use. It can be sent anywhere. It doesn't have a weight or a, or a smell to it. You can divide it and recombine it. It doesn't decay. So it has all the properties that make something a good money and people start using it as money and it shouldn't really surprise anyone. You are listening to Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future with Naomi Brockwell. I'm here with Eric Voorhees, who is the CEO of Shapeshift, and we're here at the Satoshi Roundtable. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me on the show. It is wonderful to have you here in person. We've chatted before on my show. It's been remote, but it's great to be here. Great group of people at this conference. And I wanted to chat with you about Bitcoin in particular and about the value of Bitcoin. So obviously there's a lot of chatter, especially in crypto Twitter and a lot of people from the outside of the crypto world who wonder, you know, why is Bitcoin valuable? Isn't it just ones and zeros? How is this money? And so I kind of wanted to go a little bit more in depth about that and discuss the topic you know why does bitcoin have value so let's start off just what's your basic uh, assessment of that so i found value instantly in it when i first used it in 2011 because it was a way to move money across any distance on earth instantly for free and when i saw that it was clearly valuable it was you know an, an aha moment of i found something amazing and um for a lot of other people, they need some more convincing or they don't understand why a system that would allow value transfer anywhere on earth instantly would be obviously useful. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a larger challenge then. I think that the main issue people have with that is that they feel like in traditional money, they feel like something's always backed it. Like the US dollar, it's not backed by anything at the moment, but back in the day, it was backed by gold. It was basically an IOU for gold in a vault, which the government then said, oh no, now you no longer get to redeem it for gold and it's illegal to hold gold. They, they did. So, um, I mean, do you think that this is problematic, that people still tie the idea of money to something else, like some sort of commodity? Because I think that technology has evolved and maybe our understanding of money needs to evolve as well. There's still an amazing amount of people that think the dollar is backed by gold. Um, I like to ask Uber drivers when I'm talking to them about currency and money, and it's quite a few, at least half of them still think that the dollar is backed by gold. So many people are still in that world, and those who know it's not backed by gold think of it as something tangible because they know what cash is. And they have this image that in their bank, a whole bunch of physical cash sits there in their bank account. So to them, that's still a physical thing. And what they don't realize is that 98% of all the dollars in the world are already just digital. They're just digital ledger entries in the bank. There is no cash that backs it. There's no, certainly no gold that backs it. So people are already using a digital currency and have been for decades. So Bitcoin being a digital currency is not really new or interesting. What's new or interesting is that it's a digital currency that is borderless and can move anywhere in the world instantly for free. And it can't be controlled by banks or censored or censored by governments. I mean, when you have ledgers controlled by banks at the moment, governments can put pressure on those banks. They can seize assets. And with Bitcoin, it's a decentralized system that no one controls. So it seems like it's a, definitely a step up from the current digital system that we have. Yeah. So one analogy I like to use is imagine if, if our email system, there were several email providers. And whenever you sent an email to someone else, it had to be approved by the email provider. And they would actually read it, consider it, see who it's going to, who it's from, know the identities of both parties, and at their judgment and on their timeline would send the message on. 
no one would tolerate that, knowing an email system where anyone anonymously can send information and messages to each other uh, for free. So why do we tolerate that with money? Money is also just information, and it is a way of humans uh, for interacting. Why do people tolerate that banks can stop their payments, judge their payments, that banks must know who it's going to and who it's being sent from? So it's a, it's a big hypocrisy, and um, I think Bitcoin is making that hypocrisy increasingly uh, transparent. I think also there was a big jump forward when we figured out how to have digital assets that were irreproducible, that couldn't just be copied. Like we're so used to living in this digital world where digital things have no value because you can just screenshot things. You can just copy an MP3, send multiple copies. So in our heads, we get a bit confused. We think, well, if it's digital, you know, it's not that valuable. But what blockchain brought into the world and what Bitcoin uh, created was this idea of having a unique digital asset that couldn't be reproduced. Um, so this is a new phenomenon that I I think a lot of people have yet to get their head around. Yeah, and that's one of the great in inventions and innovations of Bitcoin and all the, all the different blockchains and tokens that have been spawned from it come from this fact that you now have digital scarcity. And so if you have digital scarcity, you can assign it to real world things and you can actually have digital tokens that represent items in the real world. And people are just starting to experiment with this stuff. Um, and so I think like anyone who plays video games and is ever spent hours trying to get a special sword in World of Warcraft or something. They understand sort of scarcity, like there's only so many of those swords, sort of, and they spend time to get them. Um, so those people might understand that when something is digital and scarce, it's going to be valuable to them. One of the things that I hear people saying is that, well, the US dollar is valuable. Like it doesn't need to be backed by gold anymore because it used to be, and now it's backed by taxes. You know, I can pay my taxes in it. That's why it's valuable. Uh, that again seems kind of problematic to me. So yeah, it's not the right usage of the word backing. And that's what people are missing. So backing in economics and money refers to when something will be redeemed for something else. So dollars were backed by gold because you could actually go to the bank and they would exchange the dollars for a fixed amount of gold. So that was backing. So when people say it's backed by taxes, like, what does that mean? You can't trade in your dollars and get your taxes back. Woohoo, I get some taxes! Yeah. I, th I, think, I think what people really mean when they say that is it's backed by a huge organization that makes people use it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, okay, so we're using it because there's a big organization that tells us to. That's not a, that's not a very good reason to use a, a financial system. One thing that you brought up at the Soho Forum debate you did uh, last year against Peter Schiff was the definition of fiat, which I think is really important because people throw that around as meaning, well, this is a, an unbacked thing. That's what fiat is. But yeah, fiat means... Yeah, they call Bitcoin fiat. Fiat means something has value by government decree. It only has value because the government says that it has value. That's why it's worthless because it's some arbitrary decision by you know, bureaucrats saying this thing has, has value. Um, so let's talk about that definition a little bit and uh, why that doesn't apply to Bitcoin. Yeah, so uh, fiat, the, the Latin term means by decree. So when people say that dollars are fiat, that's correct because it has value by decree of the government. Um, not because it's digital, not because it's not tangible. That's not what makes something fiat. So Bitcoin is not fiat. Gold is not fiat. A house is not fiat. Euros, yen, dollars, those are fiat. 
One thing that was also brought up in the debate, and I know that Peter Schiff is a big proponent of gold, a lot of people um, who don't like fiat money, they like gold, but they see Bitcoin as being useless. They don't see it as having value because you know gold can be used for external things. Gold can be used for tooth fillings and circuit boards, and um, that's why we like gold. Um, so would you agree with that statement? I agree that that's what they feel gives it fundamental value. But of, the, of gold's price, maybe 2 or 3% of it comes from its industrial usage. And the rest of it comes from monetary use, people holding it as a monetary asset or as a store of value. So if someone says, I like gold because its value can only fall to 2 or 3% if it wasn't used as money versus Bitcoin, which value could fall to zero if it wasn't used as money, that's not uh, much more attractive and with gold, I mean, people, uh, people liking gold because it has this external value. I mean, we have to realize that value is all subjective at the end of the day. And especially when it comes to money, it, it is all in terms of, you know, how much value do we place this gold in? Do we value this money or this, this uh, currency more than we value that the good we're going to get on the other side or the service we're going to get on the other side? It's all this subjective playoff. And, um, and so let's talk about this idea of intrinsic value and whether there is such a thing as intrinsic value in Bitcoin. Because I know that even like Austrian economists debate about this. I know Gene and Jeffrey have gone at each other on my show about like, you know, Gene's uh, philosophy as well. And, you know, Mises just got it wrong in this thing. And he, uh, you know, didn't, uh, he, he, maybe we didn't understand. We didn't have the technology to understand that it didn't, we didn't have to have an, like an intrinsic value. And then Jeffrey's saying, well, no, that's not true. There is intrinsic value there. It started out as having the value of, as you said, the code was beautiful. It was this revolutionary new thing. It was the ability to create a digital asset that was unique. Uh, people saw value in that. And so it was kind of like this cool factor, sending it back and forth. And that's how it sort of started. And obviously, more people entered the ecosystem. The value went up. It's a fixed supply as well. So, I mean, what, where do you stand on the idea of intrinsic value in Bitcoin? Yeah, I, there's a lot of things to debate about in economics and finance. But intrinsic value seems very silly because it's clearly not true. Like nothing has value in and of itself. Value is a relationship between someone who values something and the thing. So a good example is water or food. Is food intrinsically valuable? Well, to a starving person, food is extremely valuable. Uh, if there's no humans around or no animals that need the food, the food has no intrinsic value. There's nothing, there's nothing there. It's a, it's a relational term. So that you always have to consider utility or value from the perspective of the person who wants it for something. Well, one thing that people who like gold say is that, you know, because it can be used for an external use case, like, do you think that that's still relevant today? Do you think that something in order to uh, be valued by a human for whatever reason, do you think that it needs to have multiple use cases or outside use cases other than currency um, for it to be valuable? I, I have seen no evidence that that requirement exists in the universe. I mean, Bitcoin is primarily, especially in the early days, was primarily useful as a form of currency, a way to move money between people on, on the planet. Um, it didn't need some other thing. It, it just started that way. It still is primarily that thing, and that's okay. I don't know why people ascribe requirements to something when clearly in reality, if we just look at it, it didn't need those things. Mm -hmm. 
I would agree with you there, but I'd also add that I think Bitcoin did start with a slightly but very related use case, which was kind of like the like a Reddit upvote. You know, that has value, uh, whether people recognize it or not. If you get upvoted on Reddit, that adds to your karma. That's you know, that's great. You get upvoted on on Twitter or on retweeted or like all of that that stuff. It actually does have social value, and I think Bitcoin kind of started out the same way. In the early days, you saw people doing something cool on the internet. They were they'd write a nice paper or something and people would send them a bunch of bitcoin and say hey that was cool have some bitcoin it's this thing it can't be traded for real world goods at the moment but it's cool and i feel like it started with this cool factor which you could say is kind of an external use case you know it wasn't until the bitcoin pizza day that we actually saw a real world example of it being traded and everyone went oh oh this is actually a thing it's not just like an idea of a thing yeah certainly it it was cool and it was a computer science breakthrough in its own right. So there is there is value in that. There's value just in the knowledge that Bitcoin created. But I, I don't think that any of that is a prerequisite for it being used as currency. People can use anything as currency that two parties in a transaction agree to use. Mm-hmm. And Bitcoin happens to have amazing properties for currency use. It can be sent anywhere. It doesn't have a weight or a, or a smell to it. Um, you can divide it and recombine it. It doesn't decay. So it has all the properties that make something a good money and people start using it as money and it shouldn't really surprise anyone. Mm-hmm. Your, um, your blog, what's it called? The Money and State? No. Money and State. So that's one of my, like years ago, that was one of my favorite resources. But like, you talked extensively about money, what is money, tribute-based theory of money, like all of this stuff. And it's just wonderful. So if you wanted to read more stuff, go to Money and State. Fantastic uh, resource. And just to end off here, um, I mean, what would you say to people who say that Bitcoin is a scam because it has no value? You know, it, people shouldn't get involved. It's a Ponzi scheme. I mean, you just use it. If you use it and you... If you send money through Bitcoin to someone in another country and you see how easy and effortless that is and how quickly it moves and you understand how no one in the world could have stopped that or even really known that you did it and you can experience that and then say that there's no value in that whatsoever, you're kind of crazy. So I don't know how to help someone like that because it's, it's self-evident to me. You're kind of crazy. So you heard it here from Eric Voorhees. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks a lot. For extra material and any links mentioned in this podcast, please visit naomibrockwell.com. If you'd like to watch the video version, please visit Naomi Brockwell TV on YouTube, BitChute or DTube. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future.